Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. to Freedom House, to everyone in the room. Welcome online. We've got Kansas, Maryland, Tennessee, Georgia, Texas, North Carolina, Virginia, South Carolina, and New York City. We are so glad you are joining us today. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but today is a very, very special day. So I had to bring my phone up here with me because we're going to do something special. Today is the man of my dream birthday. Pastor Troy is 52 years old today. I know, I know he looks like my father, but he's really my husband. I'm just kidding. That's, that was supposed to be funny. I'm glad I didn't start recording yet. He might not find that funny. So what I thought we could do today is we could do a little old school. Y'all ready to do a little old school with me? Now, in order to do that, I'm going to have to have a little participation from you guys. All right? So you can't be, like, sleeping or relaxing right now. I'm going to need to, like, we're going to kick this back. We're going OG, right? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to wish him a happy birthday, but we're going to start over here, and we're going to do the wave. But here's what I need you to do. We're going to do the wave. It's going to come all the way. Don't y'all start my time. Y'all better reset my time. This does not count for my, you better reset that. So we're going to start over here. We're going to do like, then we're going to go all the way over here with the wave. And then y'all are going to stand up, do it back, and we're going to go back. Do you think you can remember? Because y'all are very key. You think you can remember to stand back up? All right. So we're going to do this, and we're going to scream, happy birthday. 
do y'all think you could do this? All right, can you do it like a little rowdy? We're going to be rowdy, a little R-O-W-D-Y in here. All right, so we're going to start over here. Here we go. One, two, three. Happy birthday. Yeah, Pastor Troy. Woo, we love you, baby. Y'all got a little slack on me. I knew y'all were going to do that. I was like prophesying that already. I knew that. All right. Well, hey, welcome to Freedom House. My name is Penny Maxwell. My husband, Troy, and I are the senior pastors here. And we are so glad that you're here today. We are actually wrapping up um, our last message in a series on miracles. And I actually love talking about things that maybe some other places don't talk about. Uh, it's funny. I was having a conversation um, with our pastors last week. Uh, Troy and I, not only do we think you need a pastor, but we think everybody needs pastors. Did you know that pastors need pastors? As a matter of fact, we say this around here, the higher up the tree, the monkey climbs, the more of his ugly backside you see, right? In other words, the more you rise in your leadership, the more accountability you need around you to make sure that you still have somebody that can speak into you, that can talk into you, that can tell you no and you listen, right? So we were having this conversation with our pastors, and because um, I was thinking about this as I was writing this message, about how I love to talk about the things that a lot of people don't necessarily like to talk about. And my pastor said to me, he said, Penny, you have a very prophetic edge on you, and I would ask you to never change that. He said, never change speaking the truth because people don't necessarily want to hear it. He said, what you do is you carve a path for others to follow. You don't just follow on a path. You're out there carving the path. And sometimes when you do that, you get hit with a few sticks. It's a little bit harder when you're the one out there plowing initially, right? It's a little more difficult, but when you do that, you allow a path for other people to be able to come on because you're willing to have the sticks fly in your face. You're willing to stumble on a few rocks as you clear out the path to make things straight and true. And so I love talking about some of the things that maybe people don't want to talk about. So today, as we talk about miracles, I understand that a lot of you may have grown up in different denominations that have taught told you that miracles have passed away, that God does not still do miracles. In other words, what has been told is after the first dispensation of the Holy Spirit, when the disciples and when Jesus left, then miracles ceased, miracles stopped. And I want you to know the scripture that denominations will use and teach of why they believe that to be. Now, I want you to understand, um, this is probably going to be one of those where you want to pull your phone out in your note section, or if you're writing with pen and paper, you're going to want to take notes, because I'm not going to be preaching Pastor Penny right now. I'm going to be teaching Pastor Penny. So I'm going to teach you some things. I'm going to till the soil a little bit, and then after I till the soil, I'm going to be able to plant some seed. But the first thing we got to do is we got to get the soil right, Okay. So this is the scripture that whole denominations would use to teach that, hey, miracles aren't for today. 
1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 8, it says, Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Now, what denominations use um, to talk about how miracles have passed away is this particular scripture. But I want you to understand how this scripture is actually translated. You see, Jesus died around A.D. 33, and then Paul was actually writing this in around A.D. 53 to 55. So Paul didn't even write this until 20 years after Jesus was even come and gone. And what a lot of people would teach is when it says, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. In other words, you don't need the gifts of the Spirit, which is what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 12. You don't need the gifts of the Spirit anymore, is what denominations teach, because that which is perfect has come, which is Jesus. Well, a couple of things. First of all, Paul didn't even write this till 20 years after Jesus had died and been resurrected. This is 20 years after, so it doesn't make sense that he's talking about Jesus. When in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he tells you about the gifts of the Spirit and how you need the gifts of the Spirit. And then one chapter later, he talks about things passing away. What does he mean when he says that which is perfect? Well, I want them to throw the, the scripture back up there. And it's hard to tell because a lot of times what we do, throw that scripture back up that I just read, 1 Corinthians 13. There we go. Now, it's hard to tell from this because when they typed this up for my message, everything's in all caps. But I want you to know when it says that which is perfect, when you go back and you look at that in your Bible, it is not a capital P. It is not talking about a person. It's not talking about Jesus. It's actually the word teleos. That word teleos refers to that which has reached an end a consummate soundness, completely whole, or the full finish. What Paul is saying here is he's not saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, here's all the gifts that you need, and one chapter later, they've all passed away. What he's saying is, listen, when you get to heaven, you don't need the gifts of the Spirit anymore. But he's saying love never fails. You're still going to need love in heaven. But you don't need the gifts of the Spirit while you're in heaven. Those are for while you're here on the earth. You need them now. Now, one of the things that I want to explain is I want to explain why sometimes people don't teach on the gifts of the Spirit in churches. It's the same reason why you don't hear a lot of people or pastors. Let's just talk about the big C church, talk about things like sex. Or don't talk about things like politics. 
Or don't talk about things like abortion or don't talk a thing about things like homosexuality. Why don't we just keep everything ABC basic and then we don't offend anybody. Then we get our crowds really big. We get people really excited about the message and we just step away from anything that might be controversial. But you're in Freedom House. And so we're going to talk about what this scripture means and why we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. And here's what I want you to understand. Paul was so specific when he talked about the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He also talked about the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, which is sandwiched right in between the two of those, the whole chapter 13 is on what? Say a little louder. You're not wrong. I wasn't trying to trick you. 1 Corinthians 13 is on love, the whole chapter. That's why the bookends of the gifts of the Spirit in between, sandwiched in between, is love. Because sometimes what the church has gotten wrong is our motivation has not been love. The Bible says we should speak the truth and do it in love. Now, I have three kids, and when they are little, love looked different to me than it did to them. Love looked like sometimes they're going to get in trouble. Sometimes they're going to get a spanking, right? Sometimes they're going to get stuff taken from them. That was still love. I think today people are really confused what love is. It's like, you know, this bubblegum Christianity. That is not love. As a matter of fact, if kids are running in the street and we don't tell them, we're not screaming, stop, that is not loving and that is not kind, right? So Paul is saying, listen, These gifts of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is given, but you need to make sure they're being operated by love. Because what can happen if we are not careful? Somehow, when we are are walking in the gifts of the Spirit, we can kind of think that maybe, you know, we're a little smarter, a little better than the other person because, see, we have gifts they don't have. But all the gifts are, you know, if you are driving down the road and you see a big arrow sign, the arrow sign is pointing to the thing, but the arrow sign is not the thing. It's just pointing to the thing, right? So signs and wonders, the gifts of the Spirit are not so we can look at ourselves and think we're all big and bad and all that. It's simply something to to mirror back, to point back to Jesus. Everything goes back to Jesus all day long. So... I want you to understand this, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, each one of the Trinity, each member of the Trinity gives gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 are the gifts given by the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave gifts in Ephesians chapter 4. You can go look that up later. God also gave gifts in Romans chapter 12. I don't know about you, but when the Trinity gives me gifts, I think I kind of would like to accept them in my life. I mean, if he's giving me a gift, it might be for a purpose. I might need to use these gifts that he is giving to me. Anybody agree? Do you leave presents under your Christmas tree unwrapped? I do not. I want to open every gift God has for me. So let's do this. Let's start off talking about the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, which all include the miraculous. 
Let's begin to talk about those, and then I want to show you some things as we walk through. Now, again, this is a little bit more teaching, so I want you to take some notes. I want to write down. I want you to write down because it hurts a preacher's feelings when they spend a lot of time on a message and you don't remember them. So I want you to write these down today. There are nine gifts that the Holy Spirit has given. And they're in three different categories. The first category is the inspiration gifts. The inspiration gifts. And the first of the inspiration gifts is the word of wisdom. Now, what is a word of wisdom? It's a revelation regarding a situation or a decision. It's a special word that God gives you on what to do. I don't know what to do, but God gave me a specific word on a specific situation. It's called a word of wisdom. Word of knowledge is understanding truth that comes from only a God revelation, which is is a perfect example of that, would be last March, April, when Pastor Troy and I started talking about a lot of things that were going on in culture that God had downloaded to us and shown us, but a a lot of people didn't pick up on it yet. They didn't understand what was happening, but the Lord said, this is what's happening, this is what's going to happen, you need to go ahead and start talking about these things because the devil is seeking whom he may devour right now. So we began talking about and showing things that a lot of people weren't understanding as of yet. That was a word of knowledge that the Lord had given to us and direction he told us to take based on a revelation. All right, the last of the inspiration gifts is prophecy. Prophecy, that is telling about a future event that is going to happen. Prophecy, you see that all throughout the Bible. All right, the next group of gifts that we're going to talk about is called the power gifts. The power gifts. The first of the power gifts is the gift of faith. And I'll show these in operation a little bit more in a minute. The gift of faith. Then the next gift under the power gifts is the gifts of healing. That's the only one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that is plural. The gifts of healing, the reason it's plural is because there are many different ways in which God heals. Now, if you notice, we exercised one of those today. We had our leaders up front, and we laid hands on people. We touched people, and we prayed over people. You see that all throughout the Bible. You also see in the book of James where the leaders would anoint people with oil. You see uh, Jesus would say, your faith has made you whole. You also see what we call unusual things, which would be like when Jesus would spit in the mud and put it in somebody's eyes or say, go dip seven times in the river. I mean, why did Jesus do that? Why didn't he just say, be healed? Why didn't he just speak it? There are many different ways in which God heals, and I believe that is because it throws the devil off course. You see, it's like, you know, I used to play softball, and um, I played fast pitch, and I know y'all are thinking she would never get her nails dirty. I actually did. I went to my senior prom with a goose egg on my shoulder where I tried to steal a base, and they tried to pick me off, and, and I was safe, by the way, but I, I got hit. I got hit in my shoulder and had this huge goose egg. But, but why are there, there different ways that God heals? It's just like a pitcher who throws different pitches. It's to throw the batter off so you never know what pitch is coming your way. 
So there are different ways in which God heals. And then there is the working of miracles. Um, I know that they talked earlier about, um, during worship, about the fishes and loaves, the feeding of 5,000. That's a perfect example of working of miracles. The next group that I want to talk about, the third group, is the revelation gifts. And there are three of those. The first is discerning of spirits. Discerning of spirits. Now, I want you to understand that discerning of spirits is a gift. It is an incredible gift. It allows you to see when something is good and something that is not good, even if somebody else might not be able to tell. You get this, this sense, this check, when you know something's not right. You know what I'm saying? That you just can't explain it. You just know something's off, something's not right. Now, I want to explain something to you. There is a difference between discerning of spirits and suspicion. One is a gift. One is a trauma. There are people who I see say they have, you know, this gift of discerning spirits, but what is really happening is their trauma makes them suspicious. And because they're suspicious, they're going around to everyone just waiting for them, waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's like this evil foreboding. That is not a gift. There is no gift called the gift of suspicion. So I just want to make sure we are clear on that today. All right, the next in the Revelation gifts is tongues. Praying in tongues. What does that mean? It means praying in an unknown language. Wait a second. Does Freedom House believe in that? Absolutely. Pastor Penny, do you pray in an unknown language? Absolutely. I pray in tongues more than I pray in the natural. Why? Because the Bible says when you pray in an unknown tongue, your spirit prays directly to God's spirit, and you bypass this big gray mass, which is what gets us in trouble. So when I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit goes directly to God, and I am leaving all of this out of it. If you want to know more, we have plenty of resources um, in SALT that can explain that to you. One of my favorite books on the subject is called The God I Never Knew by Robert Morris. Great resource. All right, the last um, one that I want to tell you in the Revelation gifts is the interpretation of tongues. In other words, if I were to get up here publicly and speak in tongues, there would need to be an interpretation. Why? Because it would not be fruitful to you. You would not understand what I would be saying unless someone interpreted it. Now, let me just explain something to you for a second. If you are in a group of people and they're all praying in the Holy Spirit, does there need to be an interpretation? No, because that's their private, personal use speaking. The Bible says that when the Holy Spirit fell in Acts, that there was a divided tongues, two, twofold of fire that fell. One was for a public use, one was for a personal use. One that is for a public use must be interpreted. But if I were just to say, hey, y'all, let's just all pray right now, and let's just pray in the Holy Spirit, and I'm not, I'm not using it as a gift of the Spirit. I'm using it as my personal prayer language. There would not need to be an interpretation, okay? All right, so those are the nine gifts, and as I explained, there are gifts that are given by each member of the Trinity. The gifts of the Spirit are not eternal. They are temporal, 
But what you will still need is you will need love. That is why the Bible says love never fails. Now, what about this thing of, of people saying, well, miracles aren't for today. I don't see the 5,000 being fed. There's certain things I'm not seeing. Part of it has to do with our culture. I mean, think about the culture in the Bible. They didn't struggle believing for miracles, but they struggled believing Jesus was the Son of God. Today, we don't struggle as much believing Jesus is the Son of God, but we struggle to get our faith in line to believe for miracles. Culture sometimes can dictate to us things that it should not be dictating. Let me tell you the words of Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 12. He sums it up pretty good. Very truly, I tell you that only the apostles that believe in me will do the works I have been doing. Is that what it says? What does it say? Let's read that again. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me, raise your hand if you're a whoever. All right. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now, let me explain this for a second just so we understand clearly how things worked in Old Testament and New Testament. In the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit was in operation, it was for a specific purpose. In other words, when Samson came and defeated an entire army with the jawbone of a donkey, the Holy Spirit came on him. But in the Old Testament, because we had not been... Uh, ratified with our covenant with Jesus, the Holy Spirit could not stay. The Holy Spirit would come on and lift off. Come on and lift off. You see that where Elijah outrun, outran the king's fastest chariot. The Holy Spirit came on him for a purpose and then would lift back off. Now in the New Testament, because of the blood of Jesus, because we were made right with God the Father, the Holy Spirit not only came, but stayed. Do you understand the difference? So he doesn't just come and lift on off now. The Bible said now he remains. Let me show you some scriptures about that. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Remember, I'm tilling the soil right now. It's about to get gooder and gooder. It says, and being assembled together with them, he, Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. That's capitalized. That's the Holy Spirit, which... Jesus said, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, these were the disciples. Jesus had already risen from the dead. Were the disciples saved? Yes, the disciples were saved. But Jesus is saying this baptism of the Holy Spirit, this hasn't happened yet. This is subsequent to salvation. Acts chapter 2 verse 33, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise, the promise, hey this is coming of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. 
John 16, 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage, this is Jesus speaking, that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the capital H helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. John 14, 16, and 17. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. Because in the Old Testament, he did not. He's the Spirit of Truth, capital S, whom the world, they can't, they can't receive him. Because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. The power of the Holy Spirit, that word power, is actually the word dunamis. It's a Greek word dunamis, which is where we get the word dynamite from. In other words, it's explosive power. Does God still do miracles today? Yes. When Jesus came and he left the helper to stay with us, it is so we could walk in the signs and wonders that Jesus did and greater because the Holy Spirit is now staying with us and remaining with us. Now, let's go down and break this and make it practical. What do you do if you need a miracle? How many of you in here today, you need a miracle? You need a miracle in your body. You need a miracle in your marriage. You need a miracle in your, you know, relationships. You need a miracle in your finances. You need a miracle at your work. Whatever that looks like, how, how do I get a miracle if I need a miracle? What, what do I do? What does that look like practically? I know for me, I'm believing for a miracle in a particular area of my life. And so I wanted to share with you what to do if you need a miracle. And these are really great things to write down. The first is understand this. Number one, understand that your words are never neutral. Your words are never neutral. When you say things like, man, I'm so sick. Man, I'm so broke. Man, my marriage is a total mess. I am so depressed. I am so filled with anxiety. I am so upset. I am so devastated. I can't get out of this mess. I always feel like I'm in this cycle. I never get a break. When you constantly say things like that, your words are not neutral. You are actually speaking. You have creative power with your mouth. The same power that God said, let there be light, is the same power that you have in your mouth. You are made in his likeness. So you have to be very careful what you speak. Very careful. As a matter of fact, Proverbs says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your words are not neutral. We need to sometimes learn to put a guard over our mouth. I love when I'm, I'm reading in the Bible and I'm reading the story about how Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist and Elizabeth was well beyond the age of a woman that should have been pregnant. And so when the angel goes to tell her husband 
Zechariah, he says, no, 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 that's hilarious. My wife, no, we're not going to have a child. We're too old. It can't be. But God knew there was a special purpose and a promise that was going to come through John the Baptist. So what did he do? He shut Zechariah's mouth and said, I am not going to let you use your mouth to destroy what I am trying to do. So you will not be able to talk until this child is born. Sometimes we just need to shut our mouth. Right? It's kind of like mama said, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. By shutting our mouth, then we're not speaking against the very things that God is trying to do in our life. If you are having a problem in your marriage, don't talk about how bad it is. Talk about what God is doing in your marriage. Start speaking life to Lazarus and calling it out of the tomb. Whatever area of life, if you got a cancer report or you got a bad diagnosis, you start speaking life to your body. You start speaking over your body. And some people would go, well, wait a second, that's weird. Why am I speaking health to my body when I'm obviously sick? Listen, what I'm, what I'm not asking you to do is to pretend like you didn't get a diagnosis or to pretend that your marriage isn't where it is or to pretend that your child is, you know, straying from the Lord or to pretend that your job, you know, isn't hard on you. I'm not asking you to pretend. I'm asking you to do what Jesus said. Jesus said, hey, I know there's a mountain in front of you. I know you see the mountain, but what I'm asking you to do is see above it. I'm asking you to speak to the mountain and tell it to move, even if it hasn't moved yet. We have to use our words, that creative power, that DNA that is in our mouth to create the right things in our situation. Next thing we need to do if we're believing for a miracle is we need to set ourselves apart. Set yourself apart. What does that mean? It means protect yourself from the influence of people who do not share your faith in God's ability to perform the miracle that you need. Well, what if it's my family? Set yourself apart. What if it's my friends? Set yourself apart. Sometimes you need to preserve your own spiritual health and guard your heart and recognize when you are vulnerable. When you are in need of a miracle and there is a desperation about you, sometimes there is a vulnerability that you've got to protect. You can't be around negative people. You can't be around doubting people. You've got to make sure you leave those things outside. Sounds kind of mean, sounds kind of cruel, but can I just tell you that it's scriptural? Let me show you, and Jesus did this many times, but let me just give you one example. Mark chapter 5, verse 38. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and he said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. Very next verse. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother, those who would be in a position to have enough faith to believe, and the disciples 
who were with him, and he went where the child was. He took her by the hand, and he spoke over her, little girl arise, and she arose. There are times in your life when you are believing for a move of God, and what you are going to have to do is you're going to have to put people outside the door who don't share your faith. People who lack faith have a powerful ability to destroy it in the hearts of those who possess it. Get around other people who will believe with you, who will speak life over you, who understand respectable boundaries. When Pastor Troy and I were struggling, we lived in Richmond, and we had just gotten a bad diagnosis of the daughter that I was pregnant with. They told us that she wasn't going to live. We did not go around and tell everybody. Two reasons. One, I didn't need everyone feeling sorry for me. That was not going to fix my situation. And I didn't need everyone's negative words because that wasn't going to fix my situation either. I told only a select group of people who I knew would speak the right thing over my situation and would be praying along with us. Now, God supernaturally healed her. Supernaturally healed her. Phenomenal, incredible, amazing miracle. But we couldn't let everybody have a seat at our table. Next thing you need to do if you're believing for a miracle is trust the process. Trust that God has your best in mind even when you feel anxious, even when you're upset, even when things aren't going the way that you want, even when the doctor's reports are coming in. Trust God in the process. Now, we had a very difficult time getting pregnant. As a matter of fact, prayed for years for a child. And um, I remember in May of 1996, after years of trying to get pregnant, I remember my husband coming to me, and he showed me his day timer. Do you all remember what day timers were? He showed me his day timer where a few months previous he had written down something. And he said, babe, I feel like I'm, I'm at a place now where the Lord says I can release this to you. But there's two words the Lord gave me. Baby July. Baby July. Now, you have to understand something about my husband. When my husband said, says to me, God said, I'm taking that to the bank because Troy Maxwell does not ever say that unless he's had a word from God. So I am freaking out because this is May. And I'm like, oh, well, if I'm going to find this out in July, maybe I'll get pregnant now. And so I'm telling all my friends, I'm like, Troy got a word from God. You know, I'm so excited. You know, just can't, like, believe that this is about to happen, right? So May comes and goes, nothing, and I'm like, okay, well, it'll probably be June, and it'll show up in July. June comes and goes, nothing, and then I'm like, oh, I get it. It'll be showing up in July, and, like, I'll find out, like, at the end of July. You know, just God just wants to see if I'm going to keep my faith. God, I'm going to keep my faith. So July comes and goes, and nothing, and I'm like, ah, I probably got pregnant on the last day of July, and God just wants to see. I'm sure it'll be showing in August. August comes and goes, and Troy Maxwell is on my hit list. I am furious. I'm mad. 
I'm angry. I'm calling him a false prophet. I am like, how dare you? Like, you have never gotten this wrong before. You're not prophesying. You're prophesying. What have you done to me? Like, what have you done? I am so upset. I cannot believe you've done this to me. Like, you know what I've been through. You know all the stuff. Like, why are you doing this? He said, all I can tell you is what God said. And I said, well, you heard wrong. You missed God. And now you've hurt me. Well, I'm furious. And I can't tell you that um, I got over that easily. Because October comes, and I'm supposed to go in and have exploratory surgery so they can figure out, you know, what the problem is, why it, you know, I wasn't getting pregnant. And I had already taken off work. I go in the, you know, um, I go into the, the den the night before, and Troy, I could just tell, like, something's all over him. And I want you, as I'm telling these stories, I want you to think about the gifts of the Spirit and which ones are playing out, Right? So he says, babe, the Lord told me you're not supposed to have this surgery tomorrow, and I've wrestled with telling you because of the last little thing. And I was like, like, I'm supposed to trust you. Like, that your word. He goes, I've tried not to say anything, but he's told me over and over again you're not to have this surgery tomorrow. I was like, I've already taken off work. Everything's done. I've already, like, what in the world? He said, I don't know. I'm just telling you that's what the Lord is telling me. And I'm like, fine, fine. I'll show up to work. They're going to think I'm crazy. They already think I'm crazy because I told them I was going to get pregnant in July, and I didn't. And I'm thinking all these unbelievers are going to get saved when they find this out, and now they just think I'm like a holy roller Christian or something. It's like, thank you. I'll go tell them. Troy said I am not to have this surgery because the Lord told him. So I go into work, didn't have the surgery just kind of just, and I was, I just said, you know, my husband just didn't feel peace about it. And they're like, okay. Here we go. Two weeks later, I come down with the flu. I go into the hospital. The doctor says to me, Mrs. Maxwell, you don't have the flu. You've got a baby. I'm bawling, crying, like overwhelmed. And they said, you know, we're really glad you didn't have that procedure. It would have aborted the baby. And then they said, your baby will be born in July. I was like, are you kidding me? So I go home and I tell my husband, and he's like, you know what? We didn't trust the process. God never said pregnant July. He said baby July. How many times do we give up and abort the process because it doesn't look like what we thought? Which is why the next one, be persistent, is so important. Be persistent. Do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. Don't stop. Don't quit. Don't give up. Doesn't matter what the doctor says. Doesn't matter what anybody says. Doesn't matter what things look like. Don't quit. The four men that took their paralyzed friend to see Jesus, man, they could have said, man, this place is so packed and so busy. There's nowhere we can get even close to Jesus. Most of us would have said, ah, no, it's, it's a big crowd. I don't really like crowds. And besides, it's not for me. It's for my friend. Let's peace out. Let's go home. They said, we've got to find a way 
to get to Jesus, and they broke open the roof. They did whatever they could to get to Jesus. Persistence pays off. The last thing is we've got to learn to receive. What good is a gift under a tree if we don't know how to receive it? Miracles are not impossible, improbable, or even unpredictable. They don't defy God's original relationship that he established between the physical world and the spiritual world. Miracles are simply this. They're acts of God that cause those two worlds to overlap in a moment of time. That's the anatomy of a miracle. Would you stand on your feet with me? What is that thing that you need in your life today? That miracle, that one thing. And I think all of us probably have that one thing. It just feels so big. Maybe anxiety, maybe depression, a struggle that you've constantly dealt with, a financial situation that you just, man, a relational situation that just seems too big. Would you just close your eyes and bow your head today? What is that thing that you just feels like a mountain? We know that Jesus said we can speak to that mountain. What I want to encourage you to do is think about what that thing is. Write it down. Do whatever it takes. Don't quit until you see God's hand move. Last thing I would like to ask of you is the greatest miracle of all time is when Jesus Christ hung on a cross and all of sin of all of humanity was placed on him. And because of that one act, it allowed you and me to get a free pass. The greatest miracle of all time. What I would love to ask you today, whether you're in the room or online, is would you like to accept that miracle? That's the first step in seeing the miraculous in our life is asking Jesus to come in and take over. If you would say today, you know what, I know I need to put Jesus first. Would you just lift your hand or click online? Thank you for your hands. Thank you. Anybody else? I need to put Jesus first. Just lift your hand. Thank you. Who else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you in the back. Online, there's people right there that can pray with you and chat with you. Let's just all say this together. Say, Heavenly Father, we believe you are the God of miracles. We ask you right now to come into our life. Make us new. Make us fresh. Make us clean. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, freedom. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House 
and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message. Thank you.